I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Lorena Asensio is today on the show from Aster Wine and Spirits. Hello. Hi, Levy. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the Asensio's progression into the wine business. Well, I got into the wine trade shortly after I moved to New York City in 1998. Uh, prior to that, I was teaching and I moved to New York and I always wanted to work in a wine store. But before that, when I was a teenager, I loved reading about wine. I picked up Kevin Zraeli's book, Windows on the World, and I just read it, reread it. I loved drinking wine. I drank wine as much as I could, as much as I could afford, which wasn't much, you know, when you're in college, etc. I feel like that builds a better buyer if you can't afford everything. I, it actually was really good. But, you know, the strange thing is I knew wine more theoretically than yeah. I actually did in practice, which was interesting. So... Did you find that you had like things you thought you weren't going to like and then you ended up liking them because of whatever? Um, not really. Yeah. Not really. I mean, everything you know was impressive. That was a dumb everything, question. <laughs> everything was impressive in the yeah, beginning. You were you just know? into it. I was into it. I didn't have any great opinions like I do today about, you know, what I prefer to drink. So what um, are some of those things you prefer to drink these days? Well, what I prefer to drink personally is a lot of wines from France and mm -hmm. Italy. That's by far... They make wine there. Everything. In those countries. Exactly. Um, that's by far everything that I drink. Um, I tend to veer towards the natural wines in general. Uh -huh. I, do, I do drink that, but not just the natural wines because I feel like they're trendy and, you know, hip and all that. And that's the opposite of what I feel like I am. But I, I enjoy their purity. Um, I also really enjoy the bread and butter wines that you get from Italy. That's that's what I drink all the time. I drink Grignolino. Um, I drink Grignolinos that are not natural necessarily. So it's not like I have to drink a natural wine. That's that wasn't true. But um, do you find that that's an issue though? Like a little bit of a there's a pull and tug on that issue of natural wine, whether it, it should be more pre prevalent or less prevalent. In, in the industry or for me personally? For you at the shop in terms of your buying. Absolutely. It, yeah. it, affects, it affects what I buy. It affects what piques my interest. Um, so is that coming not, from customers or from supply side? 
uh, from the supply side. So I it's mean, not so much like a, there's a riot for the wines in the, the aisles of the uh, store. You know, it's a little of each, I have to say. The customers do come in and they say, you know, they'll start with a ridiculous question like, I want a wine without sulfur in it. Right. And then that leads you to a discussion about wines and what kind of wines you should maybe be drinking. And, you know, the way you make wine is not necessarily just from grapes. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the number of distributors I can purchase those meaningful wines from is, you know, has there ever been a time in the industry where you have this much selection? No. I mean, especially from when I first started. And I, do you feel like they're more value priced in terms of you're talking about absolutely. wanting more like bread and butter wines? Are they absolutely, you know, there? you can walk out of our store and buy something, you know, for $15 and get a fantastic bottle of wine. You may not know what it is. Um, you should hook up with one of our salespeople. They're very opinionated. They 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 know what they like. They only sell what they like, um, and and they can lead you in the right direction. So I think finding somebody who has a similar philosophy as to what you like, and sometimes actually what you want to like is, I just want a good bottle with dinner tonight. It doesn't have to be a philosophy. I think a lot of customers that we service don't know too much about wine. They just simply want a good bottle. Mm-hmm. And is that partly because of location and a lot of foot traffic? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. A lot of people just kind of wander in looking they, for a bottle of wine for home. They wander in. Um, we're highly promotional. I mean, people get emails from us. And and I think we're, you know, really a destination store to have um, a, that has a, a broad selection of wines. We I know can't. I definitely head there for champagne. Seems like you guys have a lot of a, champagne. A lot of champagnes, about cheese, nearly 200, I would guess. Which is a lot more of a high value item to hold in inventory than a lot of stores do. I it think. is. It's not like I'm buying these by the pallet. The pallet, load, though. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. So, I mean, let's talk about how big it is. It is a big store mm-hmm. for an independent store. It's like the largest in Manhattan, right? It is. It is the largest retail store in Manhattan in the East Village. Um, we moved to the location where we're at right now about seven years ago. And I worked at the old store as well. Oh, you worked at the old store. Yeah, okay. I was at the old store. I was highly involved in the move. And it was during that move that we really kind of reinvented ourselves it seems it, a lot more polished now when you walk in, in terms of is. the look of the retail showroom. It is. And the old store was very 80s and dated yeah. and a little dusty and I would even say and, like 70s. Yeah. <laughs> like it felt like, you know, one of those buildings you see in Watergate when they break into the office or something. Well, I just remember the neon and I think neon <laughs> is so 80s. So that really made an impression. So, yeah, I mean, the store has existed since 1946 and the current owner's uh, father purchased it in 1968. So it's been in the family. So, you know, we chose to move. And um, in the process, we really reinvented ourselves. You know, there were so many improvements we needed to make. Temperature control, um, the, the way we displayed our wines, just, you know, temperature controlling our sakes, our natural wines, and beyond. So we made those adjustments, um, and it, it's made a huge difference. But the one thing we didn't want to do was move to the new location, have a polished, very fancy-looking store, and then have really high prices. We didn't want to be the new, fancy, expensive store down the street. I think there are other stores who are kind of like that. And the truth is, we moved a half a block away from the subway. People used to stumble into our store. Now we're a half block away, more of a destination. So, But we make it worth people's while. We have a diverse selection of wines. And we make sure that, you know, you're not going to pay an arm for a leg and a leg for it. One of the things I really like is that you guys do keep, like, low sulfur wines in the cold room. 
because yeah. I think a lot of places are like, oh, this is a cheap wine. I'm going to put it in the showroom. And then you're like, oh, well, it's yeah. nice if you keep that cold. Yeah, <laughs> like, and that, you know? that was intentional, too, because typically when people have a cool room of, so- of sorts, it'll be the expensive room. Right. So we have Moscato Dasti in there. We've had issues with, you know, Moscato Dasti at the old store where there would be temperature fluctuations and it's sweet and sparkling and then you know what happens next. So we have natural wines in there. We have collectible wines as well. Yeah, I feel like everything I really want to drink is in the cold room because like the expensive stuff that I really want to drink is in the cold room. But then also like the natural wines that I really like to drink are in the cold room. So it's like where I head like right away. Right. Like for me, I don't know. Yeah, for a lot of people. So there's a lot of traffic in the cool room, especially our staff is very enamored with the wines in the cool room. But we also have natural wines that we think are... Uh, can withstand a little more temperature fluctuation on the floor because I don't want to annex everything into the cool room. Right, right, right. Because it's a constant challenge to get the customers to get in there in because there. they still right. think. It, that's where all the expensive exactly. stuff is going to be. Exactly. And that just, you know, shows the reality of where people are and wh- how much they want to spend on an everyday bottle of wine. Right. And you guys also have a lot of spirits and have kind of gotten behind spirits for a long time in mm-hmm. terms of some of the more artisanal things. Mm-hmm. How have you seen that kind of grow and build in terms of artisanal spirits? Because, you know, not so long ago, it felt like big brands were the thing. And now it really feels like people are making an effort to not only buy an artisanal vermouth, but people are going out and making them in their, on sure. their own. So what's what's been the changes? What have you seen? So um, certainly the sales of our artisanal spirits has increased but that's due to the fact that you know the the selection what we can purchase from wholesalers has increased there's this whole cocktail movement spirits movement i'm the wine buyer at astro wines and spirits um we have a separate staff that takes care of the spirits and they're total geeks about spirits Uh you know 10 times more than i ever know about distillation um how to make cocktails they're out drinking all the time and it's it's pretty exciting it's the energy at aster the energy of my staff is really phenomenal what they enjoy. I feel like it's been a great run of buyers at Aster mm-hmm. over the years. There was Kevin McKenna, there's Jeff Connell. Right. Um, there's been some really smart people that right. have bought wine there. Um, what, how have you changed things in your own time as a buyer there? Because you started out, you know, more on the floor. You were doing mm-hmm. sales and stocking and helping. And now you're buying. How have you seen the progression and change? And what have you done to make it different in your own? Well, when I first started, we were at the old location. I mean, we weren't as large. We didn't have as much floor space as we have now. Um, But back then, too, there were a lot more commercial wines. It was about the big brand. It was about George Duboeuf. It was about Louis Jadot. It was about those very well-known brands. And these days, our customers are willing to try something different. And those brands are still relevant on the market. I've managed to discontinue a lot of those brands because I don't think it really represents who I am as a buyer and who we are as a store. We're looking for small, artisanal. It offers a better product in general. So, and our customers are listening. They're, they're buying. Um, our staff is selling. Um, there are exceptions. People still want to buy that yellow label champagne. There's no way I can get that out of their hands when they walk in. It's a branding thing. They need to make an impression on their, their, you know, boss or whomever they're giving it to or pouring it at some party. And that's okay. I used to get more flustered and upset at customers at how they couldn't even appreciate the grower producer story, you know. But again, I've I've come full circle. In the beginning, I knew nothing or next to nothing. I went through my period of, you know, wanting to read everything, learn everything, taste everything. I was certainly partial to the smaller producer from the get-go, but I didn't really understand 
what that meant um, in terms of what your average customer wanted until, you know, for th until, you know, I worked at the store for a good five years. So I went through a period where I really shunned the big producer and I was just shocked. I'm like, how can we carry this? This is, this is just not right. We've got to support the little guys and they're more interesting. And, you know, through time that, that has proven to be true and, and customers are responding. But, you know, back in the day when I was at the old Aster, um, there were those commercial wines, commercial spirits, and, and we felt like we had to have them. So it's really much more exciting. What piques my interest is, is the small producer. I know them as well. It's not just I want to do a small producer and they're good, because that's not true. A lot of times reps will try to sell to me. They're like, hey, I have this great organic wine. And I'm like, that's, that's not enough. You know, it's, I don't buy it just because it's organic. It has to be a good wine. Um, is it difficult as a buyer to find continuity on smaller producers? I mean, if people are only making 3,000 cases, does that mean you're constant in rotation to find new things? Does that sure. make your job more difficult in a way? You it, can't it makes it more difficult. It makes it more difficult at times, but it also makes it more exciting. Since we carry so many wines, there's so many wines that are in flux in terms of how much we can buy. Uh, yes, it can be difficult, but it's also exciting, and we change our inventory, keep inventory fresh. There's a new label because something sold out and you go on to the next best thing. People want to see new items too. People like to see the old traditional items every year as well. So we do a little of each and due to the size of our store, we're able to. One of the things I always liked about Aster and it almost seemed like you guys were pioneering it in a way was a lot of tastings for customers. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of uh, opportunities to taste things. Sure. And in fact, there's even like kind of a tasting window booth there that there's regular things that happen. And in fact, you told me once that that aspect of the store really impacted you earlier in your career in terms of learning about uh, different things just through trying them and how many things were open all the time. Sure. Do you feel like there um, that's made a big difference? I mean, one of the things that can happen is that like somebody does something really cool and then other people, it just becomes the norm. But right. I felt like Aster did it Big and early in a sure. way. Do you still th feel that that's a strong emphasis for the store? Absolutely. Um, it's free public tastings. How, what better? What better way to understand a wine is? I mean, there is no better way. You should taste it. So we've offered that for many years, three times a week, um, and we have our regulars who come, and sometimes they just want a little tipple, and other times, you know, they're here to learn and they're taking notes, and it's it's impressive. So. It's absolutely something we offer and our customers appreciate it. Sometimes we have, you know, very special tastings with a winemaker who comes into town and we make a big deal about it because it is a big deal. And we, we like supporting the winemaker, you know, as well. And they have a story to tell and we love their energy. You know, when we get those people face to face with customers, they love it. And it's good that they come to the market and understand what it is like, because frequently I feel like, especially in... In Europe, the European winemakers, they don't understand the market here. They don't understand what a retailer is. They really don't. They, you know, they, they don't because understand. Because people buy cellar door. When... Exactly. They don't understand the three-tiered system that we're held captive by. So, know? I mean, what does that mean for those who may not know? Uh, well, what that means is any alcohol that comes into this country touches three hands legally, has to go through an importer, a distributor, and then a retailer before a customer can buy it. So a point of frustration of mine is when I'm helping a customer and they'll pick up a bottle and they'll say, why is this $30? I saw it in Europe this past summer for five euros. 
And then you have to explain it to them and they kind of get it, but you kind of look like the greedy retailer. Right. Because you're the one that's actually at the end of that chain. I'm at the end of that chain. It's not like they're calling the importer up being like, how dare you make money? Yeah. They have no, they don't even understand there's an importer, even if you've just explained it to them. So there's a lot of that. And, and that's another reason why we, we want to have wines that are, you know, affordable for everyday drinking and not everybody can afford that $60 bottle champagne. But it seems like one of the things you've done to kind of make that happen is do more direct items. Is that true? Like kind of things directly to the store sure. that you guys have your own importation of? Sure. So, you know, there are many clearing houses in the industry, USA Wines, MHW, and they'll clear wine. And I try to go direct whenever I can. I get on a plane. I go meet growers. I, I meet. I, I see them at their cellar. They take me around. It's It's wonderful to get that direct connection. So we do a little of each. By far, the majority of our wines come through normal distributors, but whenever I can, I get on a plane. Do you feel that that's become more important for buyers to get to Europe in a way that maybe it wasn't in the 90s when we were doing more domestic wines and uh, things were a little bit more volume and uh, big brand focus? Sure, I do. I think it's important that you educate yourself, and half of that is through travel. And you need to see what's going on on that end. You need to see what it takes to make the wine. You need to understand why it costs what it costs. You need to understand the rigors in the vineyard. I, I think it's important. Have you seen a change in retail broadly outside of the store? Have things uh, just shifted a little bit? I mean, you talk about going to Europe. I feel like when I first started, that was kind of a, a thing that was a little bit odd. And now it seems normal for people, sommeliers and uh, retail buyers to get to Europe frequently and maybe go do harvest as you did earlier in your career. Mm-hmm. I think before it's it was more kind of like a connoisseurship on this side and more like opening up a bunch of bottles and comparing them on this side. Now it seems like people are really making an effort and maybe bypassing the critical apparatus to make their own decisions, maybe get to Europe a little bit more. Um, do you think that that's true? And, and how has retail changed in, just in general? Well, when I first started, um, one of the first trips that was literally handed to me was a trip to Portugal and Madeira. So I always feel like there were those trade trips, the junkets that mm-hmm, many mm-hmm. of us have been on early on in our careers. So I always feel like there was this aspect of traveling, certainly when I first started. So I do think it existed back then, too. I can't speak for 20, 25 years ago. But now more than ever, people do want to go as direct as possible. And and I don't want to take those trips where I'm bound to some distributor's schedule and it's, you know, 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. kind of schedule and you're eating and drinking and it's exhausting. So I choose to do my own type of trip. What's important to you when you go and meet a grower? What are you looking for? Um, I'm First of all, I've done tons of research on them before I've even made the decision to go see them. I, uh, you know, there's, there's an it factor when you taste the wine more than anything. So the wine can be brilliant. You want to have a connection with the winemaker. You want to have a connection with who they are. Sometimes, you know, the, the wine is great and, and there's no connection with the person or they, they, I was in Champagne and I met with a few people, one guy in particular, I loved his champagnes, but zero connection. He, he aspired to be one of the big guys that was, and that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody small and you would never have known that by just tasting the wine. So it's really important to make that connection with the wine grower. 
Because you want maybe something that you can buy for a few years, not just this one time. And exactly. if he's going to go in a different direction, then sure. well, why start the relationship here when you could start it with somebody that looks like it could be valuable over time? Exactly. It's a tremendous amount of work to to do this, to, to bring in wine, and as any importer will tell you. And you don't just do it just one-time thing. You want to create a relationship. This business is about creating relationships with people, with distributors, with people whom you can trust their palate, you know, that we carry so many wines. I can't taste every single wine the time, you know, when the vintage changes or sometimes I just need something. And there's only a handful of reps who's, who, who I trust to tell me the truth. Most people just want a sale and I will just call people up. I'm like, tell me the truth. This is what you have. Which have you tried? What's good? Am I going to like it? You know, my palate and, uh, and it's vital. So building relationships with the grower, with the distributors is huge. And who are the people that kind of brought you through earlier in your career? Brought me through like to where I am. Who served as a mentor early on? Um, you know, I never, I get this question frequently and I can't say I had a mentor ever. I am kind of an independent spirit. You know, I didn't come from wine and I'm kind of reserved and quiet and, you know, I like to read and form my own opinion. I listen. I listen to what people say, but I'm not the type of person to say like, oh, I'm going to only buy these wines and only buy from this wholesaler. I'm, I'm more independent. So I, I bought, I mean, I bought that book, Kevin's Rayleigh's Windows on the World. So I read that backwards and forwards. I haven't looked at that in years. I would love to take a look at it because I think it would take me down memory lane. But um, I find I, that a lot has changed stylistically since that book was written. Oh, I, like, I, I haven't seen it in over a de- I mean, the Elzas chapter is a little different now. Yeah. Like in reality. You does know what I mean? Does it still have New Yorker cartoons? Oh, I don't know. I don't it know. used to. Maybe. Uh, so I would read books. Um, I started in 98. John Osborne hired me. Who was a buyer at Astor. Who was the, yeah, was the buyer at Astor. And then, um, you know, I I left, worked in Europe, and then I came back, and my position was open again, and John was still there, and then uh, Jeff Connell. You know, John left, and Jeff Connell came on board, and I knew nothing about Jeff, and all of a sudden, There's Jeff's a lot to learn about Jeff, yeah. I adore Jeff. Um, we're good friends. Whenever I see him, I feel, you know, like, have him over, we have dinner, we, we enjoy each other's company. I admired his passion, his complete and utter passion to the growers, to his growers that he's, you know, he'd known for many, many, many years. Um, he's an interesting guy, but I really appreciated who he was. And I, I enjoyed his passion. And you feed off people who are passionate. You, you know, you understand their energy. But do you think coming up independently kind of set the the tone for your buying independently like sure. when you look at a producer you're like oh this guy is or this woman is kind of like me mm-hmm. like i vibe that like this is somebody who didn't necessarily get pulled through the industry sure. this is somebody who had to make their own way into it sure that'll resonate with me that'll that will resonate with me so what are some of the things that were precursors for you that you said yeah, wine. I mean, outside of the getting the book, uh, which I think you got kind of early. You said like high school, you picked up that book. High school or, yeah, or I think when I was 19. So maybe just out of high school, I was in college. Um, and if somebody were looking for their own sense and saying like, hey, is wine for me? What would you say to that person, I guess, is what I'm really asking to you. What well, are some of the things that said it for you? 
Some of the things that set it for me. Well, you know, I, I always had this independent spirit. I grew up in a very non-traditional American family. My family's from South America of Peruvian origin. Um, I lived most of my life in the States. And I always knew I was different. You know, we grew up in a Spanish-speaking household. And I think that set the stage for me to understand, you know, the different, the unusual. Different What's... in your community, not different in your own home. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Maybe a little different at home, too. Okay, right? <laughs> well, because some people are like, I was the star of my family. I was much smarter. And then other people are like, well, I was just very different than the other kids on the block. So I wasn't sure which one you... Oh, different, different in, you know, outside of the family. Yeah. yeah. So I understood, um, or I had, I understood that I was different. I understood that we weren't the typical American family. I understood food really well. I was obsessed with food as a child. I literally was obsessed with food as a child. I dreamed about my meals. I dreamed about my next meal. It was, I was raised on Peruvian cuisine exclusively. I, you know, and so I think when I moved to New York and after having read about wine and I got a job at Astor Wines, I, I couldn't believe it that there was an industry. I didn't even understand there was an industry that you could taste wine. I didn't even know how to use a spittoon. I remember like day two of my, you know, there was a cognac tasting spirits training. I didn't even understand you spit. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. So the second... Are you I, supposed to do that? I didn't... Yeah, I, you no. are. Yeah. <laughs> so now you tell me. Now. That makes a lot of sense, Levy. Now I get So you. what you're <laughs> saying, though, is it's not the skills, it's the interest. It's the interest. So it, you know, I, I, and not only that, I didn't feel at that point that I had found my calling. And since I was obsessed with food, and I really enjoyed wine, I knew that. And then I found out there was this whole industry called the wine industry. I had no idea. I was enthralled. And I knew exactly then that I would, this is it. This is it. And I just, you know, was devouring as much as I could to, so that I could learn as much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, it was that one aha moment where I was like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this sort of business exists. And this is what I'm doing forever. So I never thought that I would be the buyer. That was not my objective. I had no idea. Um, I worked with many other buyers, very competent buyers at Astor Wines and Spirits. So, you know, I got to know the industry. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I mean, the one thing that I would give in terms of advice, if anybody wants to know if they want to get into this industry is just be patient. Don't, you know, don't jump every six months to a new job. I see that so frequently, and it's just mind-boggling to me. It takes a long time to learn this industry. Uh, you may think you know everything, but maybe you don't know ones of the old guard, you know, an old Merceau. An old, maybe you don't, you know, there's always something to learn. A lot of times, you know, there's a great young energy in this industry. Um, lots of fancy sommeliers, and they all work hard, and... Um, sometimes I think that everybody's looking to be the next it thing. That's not me. That's never been me. And that's okay. You know, find, find what, re find out what resonates with you. Find a company that resonates with you, that shares your philosophy to a degree. One thing I liked about Astor too, is that, uh, it was really important. And I recognized this early on in life is you need to enjoy who you work with. So that is so important. So it's not just about you, it's about working as a team, as a group effort, and understanding management and understanding, you know, the personalities that come in every job. 
um, that's that's really important. Being patient, really, really learning your craft. I think everybody just wants to be a buyer. I had no intention of being a buyer. I had no idea it was even possible. But through years, and you know, you gain confidence, and you you get to learn wines, and you work underneath many buyers. But you know, you understand what it takes, and then you just have a certain conviction that I can do this too. I think that's totally awesome. By the way, ah. <laughs> Laid that out. What do you want to talk about? What do I want to talk about? I want to talk about... What do I want to talk about? You tell me. You want to talk about what's next in the world of wine? In terms of upcoming trends? Or do you want to talk you want, about... I'll talk a little bit about um, what we're doing at Aster Wines that I think sets us apart. How so much work... Let me set it up for you. Sure. Uh, so, what are you guys up to at Aster these days? Well, we're constantly working on improving our communications with customers, the way we display our wines, the way we educate our customers. You know, most customers just want a good bottle for tonight. Many customers want to learn more. So we're constantly improving the way we sell wines through our website, through... So what does that mean in reality, though? Like, what has that actually meant? What has that meant? Well, back in the day, when I first started at Aster Wines, we had a website, and it was in the period of time when everybody had to have a website mm -hmm. whether it was functional or not was a different story so ours was functional on a very basic um, level and these days you know our website is constantly being improved we have advanced search which sounds very basic but you know advanced search with, i've used it many times it's yeah pretty simple it, it's pretty Astra. simple we want the user experience to be uh, to, to be good for customers and we get a lot of feedback what i like about our store as well is that we pay attention to what our sales staff thinks. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. want them to come to me. If something they don't like or they have an idea or, hey, I tried this wine, I, I listen to them. So it's it's a fantastic energy right now. I, I need help. I have three assistants who help me. I oversee all the buying, but I couldn't be where I am today without their help. This, you know, retail is a ton of work. It's a, it's, Retails in the detail, as they say. It's endless, endless database work. It's it's not like I'm sitting there, kick back and tasting wines all day. A lot of it's management. A lot of it's simply walking through the store. It's something I do every Monday morning. It's my routine. I walk through the store. What looks a little messy? What sold out? Why isn't this up? You know, didn't this come in? Fr it's just, you're just constantly on top of details. And I'm first and foremost involved in that. And a lot of times people, you know, ask me like, well, why don't you do something else? What are you doing on the floor? What are you, why are you cleaning this bottle? I'm like, well, because I can and it needs to be cleaned and I, I'm not too good for that. I, I like getting my hands dirty sometimes. I like helping the customers and come high season, I do. I'm on the floor a lot. But the rest of the year, you know, I'm behind the scenes trying to get things done, tasting and, and planning for the next season. How has the development of online affected the business? I mean, now that people are buying things through email blasts or through the website, what's changed? Well, um, people like to buy online and a story. I mean, they prefer to do that than sometimes to walk into our store. So we try to cater to both customers. A lot of people want to see the store. They want to peruse our aisles. A lot of people don't have time. You know, they're busy and they're traveling and... You know, we look at the, the traffic for our website. You know, it stops at about 5 a.m. It's amazing how many people shop at 3 a.m. Who knows where they are? 
but they're shopping and it's, it's pretty interesting. So that's the beauty of, um, online business these days. You can shop anytime. There's a 24 hour it's cycle. It's a 24 hour cycle. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of work and we have a separate team who takes care of our web business and they're vital. You know, you can't, you can't have a significant retail presence without having a strong online presence. When I hear you, I hear somebody who came uh, all the way through the ranks. Uh, and when that happens with like restaurant people, often that guy is the same guy that like clears dishes and stuff because he started as a busboy even now. He's mm -hmm. a manager or whatever. Um, but I also hear somebody who's not super publicity seeking. But does it seem sometimes to bother you when you open up the paper and you're like, oh, there's another restaurant uh, wine person that's getting a lot of attention, but retail seems to get overlooked quite often, or is that not a concern at all? Um, I certainly noticed that. It just seems to be like an entirely different playground mm -hmm. than where I am. Mm -hmm. It's a different playground. You know, it's big gun wines, big, you know, big shows and personalities, and it's, it's a different scene. Sure, I would like to get recognized more, but people know who we are. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're not a small fish here. So it's it's a different dynamic, the restaurant dynamic versus retail. Um, you but know, have you seen more big gun sales gravitate towards retail in the era of a recessionary environment and less things that are like allocated just to restaurants in the way that they used to be? Oh sure, you know the the days of allocations when we couldn't get wines because it's only being sold to restaurant totally changed. Totally I can, changed. I can, yeah, it's entirely changed. Yeah, that used to upset me. Yeah. What do you mean you only sell to a restaurant? What? <laughs> because in the late 90s, I felt like a lot of uh, high-end wine sales were really destined to be a restaurant sale because the retailers couldn't get them if they want. Whereas now you see it so much at retail and people are avoiding purchasing those wines in restaurants because they would rather not pay the markup. They would rather buy it at retail and just take it home. Is that a reality? No, or I think it's a reality. It's certainly a reality with me. You know, it is the most painful thing for me to pay restaurant prices at a restaurant mm -hmm. frequently when i go out i don't go out often i cook a lot but if i go out i typically get a beer mm -hmm. unless i'm with a you know a wine crowd and we split bottles and stuff but it is the most painful thing for me and i'm not a big gun wine buyer when i'm at a at a restaurant but it it's just painful to pay those restaurant markups so if some things could change about the industry specifically on the retail side that would make your life easier. What what would those things be? What frustrates you about the business? The three-tiered system. Yeah. If you could go more direct. Yeah. Or get rid of a tier. I just, you know, it's we hear the customers every day, why is this so expensive? Mm -hmm. We see what they're buying. It's not the fifty dollar bottle. I, I I see it. And that's, you know, we're you know, we're in tougher economic times. And that's right now. true both for domestic and foreign wines. It's Absolutely. still three tier. So it's not like just because it's foreign, you, you know, you have an extra layer. Even right. if it's from this country, you still have that same amount exactly. of layers. So. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's a little frustrating. But, you know, each of those entities is also important. I have great relationships with many of them. So wouldn't want to absolve them of their duties. Well, I think <laughs> a lot of pioneering importers have really changed how people drink. I don't know Yeah. If you agree. Yeah. Kermit Lynch, Neil Rosenthal, absolutely. So what if the world could look a little better, though, besides getting rid of a tear, how might, how might it be easier? What, what could happen in terms of people's drinking, maybe on the consumer side? What, if consumers were to come in and say things that really lit you up more often, what would those things be? Like 
what would be a happy moment? What would be a happy moment for consumers? For them to be able to drink champagne more often. For them to be able to drink Burgundy mm. more often. I love Burgundy. I can't afford to drink Burgundy. In a relatively short amount of time, that's Absolutely. happened. Absolutely, yeah. You know, because maybe 2002, you still could. Yeah, exactly. So the prices have gone up, and you know, if we could, if we could make things easier for the customer, I mean, the truth is, it's the price that's going to dictate. Do you think that any other reasons are going to be next on the the pricing escalation roller coaster? Any any other? Yeah. Do you think another region in the world might go through the same? And tremendous price escalation that we saw in Burgundy anytime soon. Well, what region hasn't seen those price increases is what I'm trying to think. Mm -hmm. Every single region. Mm. Uh, well, maybe the exception is a few Southern Italian, Southern Spa Spanish wines, like wines from La Mancha. They're still pretty affordable. So there's a lot going on politically, internationally. And I know some of those wine producing regions are hurting. So... On the one hand, you know, maybe I won't see an increase in price in Spain soon. Mm -hmm. But fuel prices are up and the production of glass is, you know, the cost is up. And it's hard to say. So many moving parts, you know, the dollar's getting stronger, euro's getting weaker, and, you know, exchange rates, that makes a difference too. There's so many moving parts. I can't, I really can't think of anybody who's not going to be affected by what's happening right now. So sometimes when people are just learning about wine, First time at the shop, something funny happens or, you know, something didn't uh, go along with plans. Anything like that ever happened to you on your, your wine journey? Sure. Um, early on in when I, when I just started Astor Wines, I, I ended up helping the it sommelier of that era. Um, there were others, but she was really it. And um, answered the phone and she's like, I need to put together a case of wine for a client. Can you please put something together? I'm sure. Absolutely. I was like, oh my God, I'll do this. I'll take care of it. And I was in the midst of my, you know, support the small guy, support the unusual, support this. And I put together a case of wine. I shipped it and her client got it. And like a week later, she called at me yelling at me saying, what the hell were you thinking? Oh, really? And and I was well, that sounds like embarrassed. Fun. <laughs> And it was a real aha moment knowing that, oh, I get it. Not everybody gets the small artisanal think outside of the box. It was, you know, really telling. And I was, you know, mortified. So that's kind of like some of that feedback that you were talking about. Like yeah. when things don't work out, uh, you know, learn from that. And you learn kind of adjust. from it and you move on. And yeah, and now I laugh at it. It's funny. But yeah, it was a learning experience and I never forgot. So, some, you know, understand your customer. Understand what they mean. Lorena, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us what you're up to at the store and what's going on in the market. Appreciate seeing you. Thanks, Levy. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. 
That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.